I'm sure you've all heard the expression that behind every great man is a great woman. And let me tell you from the perspective of this particular, albeit average, member of the male gender, that is absolutely true. It was my mother, who's here tonight, who nurtured me in the faith. And without Emily, my wife, I simply wouldn't be in ministry anymore. I'm deeply thankful to them both. When I was studying church history, I found that this is often the case. Behind the great reformer Martin Luther was his wife Catherine, who got up at four o'clock every morning to run their home, which was a college for Luther's students. It was also a hospital and a farm and a nursery for their six children. Oh, and also a brewery. Behind another reformer, Ulrich Zwingli, was his wife Anna. She tutored their seven children in Greek and Latin, visited the sick, translated the Bible into Swiss, opened their home to refugees. I could go on. Behind William Booth was the great preacher Catherine Booth, became known as the mother of the Salvation Army. And the great Charles Spurgeon was nursed through his depression by his wife, Susanna. Behind these great men was a great woman. You will have heard the phrase, and it is equally true that behind every great woman is a man as well. We get the point. You cannot be great in a vacuum. Behind all of us are people who influence us, support us, guide us, inspire us, protect us, correct us when it's needed. Behind every great man or woman, there are other great men or women. But having read 2 Samuel 22, I wonder if you could complete the following. Behind every great king, there is. Behind every great king, there is God, the King of kings, the Lord of heaven and earth. And that is the absolute key theological statement of David's life. If you go home and you sit down and you read through your Bible and you read the story of David from start to finish, from 1 Samuel 16 right through to 2 Samuel 22, you start from beginning to end and you sit there thinking, what is it all about? It is about this. Behind every great king is God, the King of Kings. And that is the way that God always intended it to be. The kings of Israel were supposed to be his representatives, his agents on earth. They derived their leadership and their authority from him. All of their successes were due to him. All of their victories were due to him. All of their riches, all of their resources were bestowed by him. If you read David's life, the moral of the story is that behind Israel's greatest king was the king of kings. David needed God. And in every situation David came across, this man who started as a young shepherd boy, he found that God was there providing for him. As we look at 2 Samuel 22, I want to just tell you a little bit about how poetry is used in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, poetry is used in a very deliberate way. We often find it right at the end of a story. 
after the crossing of the Red Sea, we have a song written by Moses and Miriam. After the defeat of Caesarea in Judges, we have a song written by Deborah. After the birth of Samuel, we have a song written by Hannah. And these songs or poems are there to complement the story. The poetry articulates the message, the moral that was implicit in the story. The story tells us what happened, literally happened. These are true historical stories. The poetry gives the moral. And this is exactly what we find in 2 Samuel 22. Right at the end of his life, we get the moral to David's story. 2 Samuel 22 is a a thanksgiving psalm. It's sung by David. And it's David celebrating the one thing that God provided him with, perhaps more than anything else in his life. Deliverance. Again and again and again, God delivered David when he was in need. You may like to follow this through with me. In verses 1 to 4, David makes it very clear that he was at the point of death many times. But God saved him. The rest of the psalm then goes on to tell us about this God who saved him. What's he like? And then it finishes in verse 47 onwards by David inviting all who have heard this song to start trusting in the Lord themselves. This song that David sings is rooted in his personal experience. David in this song refers to the Lord as my rock, my saviour, my God. But as he sings about how God has delivered him again and again, he's urging all who hear to trust this God to deliver them as well. The message is clear. Verse 4, I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I have been saved from my enemies. Behind every great king is the real king. And every time David got into trouble... God delivered him and he wants us to see the same. Just before we look a little bit more at this song, there's one other thing I want us to notice. Throughout this psalm, if you look in your Bibles, David refers to God as the Lord. And in your Bibles, you will see the Lord printed in those small block capital letters. And whenever you see the Lord written like that in the Old Testament, you need to know that the Hebrew word that is behind it is the word Yahweh. Yahweh, or I am who I am. It was the name that God gave Moses at the burning bush. The name that was deemed by the Jews to be so holy, they never used it. And instead, they changed it in their scriptures to read the Lord in block capital letters. Why do you need to know that? Well, you need to know that because David is singing to God using God's personal name. This psalm is rooted in David's personal experience. And David experienced God stepping in to rescue him again and again because David called on God's 
name. David had this precious relationship with the Lord. And as he sings this psalm out and it gets recorded in scripture for us to read and enjoy ourselves, we are to be reminded that our God is a personal God. He wants a relationship with us. He is personally committed to us as individuals. And he invites us to call on his name. As David sings out this praise, he's encouraging us to see that our deliverer is a personal God. Let's now get into the main text and see what David says about this God. First of all, David sings that the Lord is his rock. In fact, five times in this psalm he says it, twice in verse 3, once in verse 32, and twice again in verse 47. It appears at the beginning of the psalm, it appears in the middle of the psalm, it appears at the end of the psalm. So clearly this is important to David. Now this is quite familiar imagery to us. We have phrases like it today. We would say of somebody, oh, they're solid as a rock, they are. I'm sure we've said something like that ourselves. We're saying that that person conveys to us a sense of stability, a sense of strength, a sense of faithfulness. To be solid as a rock is a good thing, isn't it? For those of us who have a great woman behind us, we might say that our wives are our rocks. Maybe the women say that about their husbands as well. In In the ancient world, the imagery of a rock is even more vivid than our use of it today. Remember, in David's time, there are no such thing as explosives, no such thing as power drills. So rocks are literally the hardest thing they know. And they're incredibly difficult to break up. A rock was an image of real solidity, an impregnable, sure foundation. In the Old Testament, we also need to remember that the backdrop, the place where this is lived, is in the desert lands. And so a sight of a rock in a barren, sun-parched wilderness is a sight that lifts the spirits of a traveller. Why? Because rocks block the sun. You can shade behind them. You can rest. Rocks were often found at the sites of spring. And there are some rocks in Israel that if you hit them, water comes out of them. So seeing a rock is like seeing something you're desperate for in a desert. And perhaps most obviously in a time of war, which David experienced many times, rocks could be hiding places as you flee the enemy. So we need to have all of these things in mind when we hear David singing about the Lord as his rock. When David says God is the rock, what he is saying is God is the one he is going to run to. God is the one that he is going to hide behind. God is his place of relief, his place of security, his place of defence, his place of protection. You run to a rock in an ordeal. And David had discovered again and again and again in his life, when he got into trouble, the rock that he needed was still there. And time and time again, David ran and sheltered behind the Lord. 
behind every great king. There's God, the rock. The second piece of imagery that David uses a lot in this psalm is that the Lord is his saviour. The verb to save or to deliver comes four times in verse 3, verse 4, verse 28, verse 42. And the word salvation comes another three times in verse 3, verse 36 and verse 47. It's clear that as David celebrates God at the end of his life, as he looks back and he reflects on everything that's happened to him, he has discovered that God can be trusted because God has rescued him again and again. He has discovered God to be his saviour. But again, we're very used to talking about saviour figures today. So let's have a little closer look about how David particularly says that God is his saviour. First of all, David has experienced God to be the saviour of those who pray. In verses 5 to 7, David describes how his situation at some times had been one of imminent death. He felt as though he was drowning in a torrent. He felt that the tentacles of the grave had wrapped around him, that he was chained, he was entrapped by death, and there was no way out. But David's testimony was that there, in the darkness, as he called to his Lord in prayer, God heard, and God came to save. And this is why it's important that we see here that David is referring to God using his personal name, because that's the reason that God gave his personal name to Moses in the first place, because God wants us to call on him when we're going through trouble. When David was in his deepest distress, he didn't turn inward. He didn't shut down. He called out to the Lord. He prayed and the Lord answered. And as David looks back on his life and he sings this song for all to hear, he wants us to know that God saves those who pray to him. But there's more. David also wants to know that he has experienced God to be his saviour when he was at his weakest. And this is where all of that poetic language comes in. I love this picture. This picture was inspired by this psalm. The artist is a guy called Joshua Cadogan. I don't know about you, but when you heard verses 8 to 20, I'm sure your minds were going, whoa, 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 what is this? What is going on here? What David is describing here is called by academics, a theophany. A theophany is a a divine appearance. It's God turning up in person to rescue his people. The burning bush was a theophany. The fire on Mount Sinai was a theophany. The cloud in the temple was a theophany. Well, David believes that God answered his prayer so personally that God personally came down and did it himself. But of course, that's really difficult to describe. How do you describe God stepping into your life and winning the victories for you? I don't have the words for that, but I believe it to be true. So David resorts to poetry. He uses metaphor. 
metaphor to try and help us understand something that's almost inexplicable to him. So in these verses, David describes God like this divine warrior, so powerful that the earth and the mountains quake before him. In these verses, God, David describes God like this storm God, breathing out fire. His thunderous arrival strikes terror into the hearts of his enemies, and his arrows and his lightning bolts rain down against those who fight against David. In these verses, David describes God as this divine liberator who like steps down into David's dingy hellhole of a life, his tight spots of difficulty, and picks him up and takes him to a spacious place and sets him down in the open. We've got to be careful here. This isn't mythology. Don't get confused. This is David using metaphor to describe something that really happened to him. Because God did rescue him from his enemies time and time again. There were many points in David's life where his back was really against the wall and he saw no way out. And then when he called on the Lord, everything changed. And David couldn't describe it. And so he uses these metaphors, this poetry, to try and convey what it is for the Lord of heaven and earth, the creator, the powerful one, to step down personally into his life and give him strength when he was at his weakest. That's what this psalm is about. And I know the language makes us very unsettled because we don't like to think of God in these terms. But what David is saying is that when you are at your weakest Cry out to God, and you will see him at his strongest. There's one more thing David wants to say. In verses 21 to 30, David describes God as the saviour of the righteous. Now here in these verses, the psalm takes a bit of an unusual turn for us modern day readers. Because David publicly maintains his innocence. He says he is a righteous man. He asserts that the Lord was faithful to him when he was saved. In fact, he says that the Lord was treating him according to the fact that David had clean hands. That's what he says. It's there in black and white. Read it. David claimed to have this relationship with God that was based wholly on keeping the law and spurning evil. Now, In light of what happened with Bathsheba and Uriah, how on earth can David say that? How can David say that he is sinless and perfect when he's committed adultery and then got the husband murdered? How can David say that? Yet David believes that he was delivered because God saw his heart. When God rescued him, he was vindicated for his love of the Lord. It takes a lot to get our heads around this, doesn't it? David had gone wrong. David had committed some appalling sins. He had done some awful things. But when God gave him the chance to repent, David always took it. And that's what made David the greatest king that Israel ever had. Because he recognised when he'd gone wrong and he owned up to it. And he sought the Lord for forgiveness. And David experienced God taking those sins away. 
And David knew that God saw his heart. David knew that God had forgiven him. And so when David encountered something that was unfair, he could call out to God, who is just, and he would know that God would do what was right. So when David sings this song of God being a saviour, he wants us all to know that God saves those people who have given their lives to follow him. Those of us who said, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. But as soon as we've made that decision, things have started going wrong. David says, God saves the righteous. So David sings of his rock. He sings of his saviour. There's one final set of imagery that we need to take into account. In verses 31 to 46, David celebrates his military victories. But as he does so, David says something very explicit. David knows that none of his successes are down to him. None of his strength came from himself. In verses 31 to 46, David celebrates these military victories, but he does so by looking to God and saying, I'm completely indebted to you, God. You are the one who gave me my shield, verse 31. You are the one who gave me my weapons, verse 33. You are the one who trained me how to use a bow, verse 35. You are the one who gave me my strength and my agility. It's almost like God's his personal trainer. Now again, this is all metaphor, but we get the message. All of David's victories have been won in God's strength and God's power. And not because David was some great military general. David will go down in history as the one who defeated Goliath. But David knows that that was nothing to do with him. David will go down as the one who defeated the Philistines. But he knows where the credit for that was due. David found that God armed him to face all the foes all the enemies that he would come across in his life, and God would never let him down. So after expressing these amazing things about God, that he's the rock that David could run to, the saviour that reached down in his weakest moments and hauled him up, the one who gave him the strength to tackle the foes that came his way, David finishes with praise. He says, Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. As David looks back on his life, as he approaches death, he realizes just what God has done and just how amazing God is, that there are no foes that we face in life alone. There is no enemy that's too strong for God. There is nothing that can overcome God. And when God's on your side, you know in the end you're on the winning side and you will be with him forever. And David sings this song out because he wants us to believe it now. He wants every person who hears this song to put their trust in the God that he put his trust in because he knew he was the only one. And so we might use different language today. But the truth is still the same. When you're in trouble, run to the rock. When you see no way out, 
cry out to the Saviour. And when those foes come their way, whatever they are, illness, poor health, people mocking you for your faith, hard times in life and family, remember that on your side is the Lord and he will give you the strength that you need. David finished his life with a testimony of praise and he invites us to add our praises to it as well. Let's pray together.